You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Welcome in the studio with Michael Card is about to begin now, and this, Michael, is our final program of the year 2022. Wow. It's been a good year. It has. And we've seen yeah. a number of new friends come along, so thank you for listening to this yeah. weekly program. we got a lot to talk about here today. Number one, this is the last week of the year that this is being released, and you're off to Israel again, huh? Yeah, looking for. we're going to spend the whole month there. We're going to do three... Three groups, so I'm looking forward to that. I love I love being in Israel. All right. Well, we'll look forward to yeah. hearing maybe some of that when you come home and getting a report from you on that in a month or so. Yeah. Hey, um, as we start a new year and think about you know being on the threshold of a new year, it's uh, a good time to uh, spotlight our featured resource, which is the CSB Day by Day Chronological Bible. Yeah. Uh, this is a this is a great way to read the scripture. I've discovered this in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think you were saying before it doesn't matter. Where you start, I mean, they, you know, wherever you start in in the chronology, you can move on from there. And uh, and 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 as with all the other CSB Bibles, it's just a beautiful Bible. Uh, I just moved into a new Bible uh, this this uh, last week. Uh, my old Bible is kind of falling apart, so I took a couple of days just to transfer underlinings and notes and things that I'd highlighted and clean the whole thing up. It's really beautiful. And at the end of that, I would I would encourage our listeners. That's a wonderful exercise to move into a new Bible and to transfer your notes because over the 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 days that you transfer your notes, you're sort of reviewing everything that's jumped out to you in the Scripture for however long you've had your old Bible. So mm-hmm. I think we get too attached to our old Bibles. I mean, I I know I do. And keep keep that. Give it to your children. Give it to your grandchildren. But uh, move into a new Bible and see if that helps you. Yeah, I like that you describe it. Move into your new Bible because you 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 do live in it, don't you? You really do. I mean, it's like moving <laughs> moving a house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good friend as well. All right. Well, that's yeah. a, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. But if you want to uh, check out the day by day chronological Bible, that uh, we'll have more to say about it later in the program here today. But csbible com is the place to go, and of course, there's a special discount there. So, well, uh, God bless you as you head off to Israel this week. Thanks. And uh, any idea how many people are on the trips with you? There are three groups, and each group is about thirty people. Okay. So um, you, you intentionally keep it that size, don't you? Yeah, it's enough that you can kind of learn everyone's name. And um, um, I, I had been years ago when I first started going to Israel. I would I would be at a site like Capernaum, and a, a a group would show up with three buses and 200 people. And um, it just, they look so, I don't know, like sheep being herded everywhere. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, so one of our principles of our trip is no more than 30 people. Uh, we allow uh, one site a day. We leave people there for at least an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, to let the site speak to them so that they won't feel rushed. You know, it's just the life of Jesus. There are a number of things like that. We have meal fellowship together. We'll, we have worship time together in the evenings. There are just certain things that we do that I think are, are helpful. 
Well, producer Joe is listening in, and he was yeah. on one of those trips previously, yep. so he knows knows all about what it's like. So that's right. Speak so highly of it. Yeah, thank you yeah. guys. Hey, uh, coming up in the second half today, we're going to dip into the archive. We're going to hear a conversation with a. Uh, Radio Pastor Donald Cole. Oh. Uh, Don Cole was just a dear friend of both of ours, and we're going to talk about the promise of Christ's return with Don Cole. Mm-hmm. That's coming up in the second half of our hour together. Mm-hmm. But in this first half hour, uh, you're, we're going to take you uh, back to the cove because we've been listening to this series, uh, Walk with Jesus, uh, over the last, uh, I don't know how many weeks here on the podcast. But this time, the listeners have some questions. The listeners in the audience at the cove had some questions for you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to play that Q&A coming up on this edition of In the Studio. So, are you ready to start? I think so. Let's go. All right. Let's start with a song from Michael Card. We have found him. One, two, three. On a day like any other in our search to find the truth We turn so many musty pages In our hope to find some clue Then the words left from the parchment From Jacob shines a star That a wordless one who is the word Will be worth a journey
Bible did Jesus read to others and quote? Was it the Hebrew text? If not, was it a word-for-word translation or more of an idea-to-idea translation? No, he, he quotes the Hebrew Bible. That's his, uh, that's his, his Bible, and it's, it, it's Hebrew. There are sections of it, I think, in Daniel that are in Aramaic, but it's, by and large, it's Hebrew. Now, a little bit later, because everyone speaks Aramaic, and fewer and fewer people spoke Hebrew, we have, you'll hear reference to a targum, a targum is an Aramaic translation, and fairly close to Jesus' time, they're, they're reading from uh, the targums in the synagogue, because nobody speaks Hebrew anymore. It dies. You know, it's kind of a dead, becomes a dead language. And Hebrew is a wonderful language. It died, and then it got brought back to life again. You know, Israel's founded, and everyone says, we're going to all start speaking Hebrew. So everyone learns Hebrew, and they, they bring the language back to life. That was... Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and and uh, while we're talking about this, I also want to just make the point is there's, there's no canon, so to speak, in Jesus' day. No one agrees. Uh, the Pharisees, like the, the, the books of Moses and the prophets, they accept the prophets. The uh, Sadducees only, expect, only accept the books of Moses. They don't accept the prophets. Have you read what the prophets say about the priests? They don't, want, they don't like the prophets, right? And nobody knows what to do with the wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. So the, can, the Jewish canon doesn't come together much later, and nobody agrees on when it did uh, come, come together. So uh, interesting thing about canon. If Jesus saw crucifixions around him as he grew up, do you think he always knew he would die that way? Well, you know, the Bible just, we just don't know. I mean, the little hints. I mean, by the time he's 12, he clearly knows that he has a special call in his life. When he's in the temple, he tells his parents, this is my father's house. So at least by, that, by 12, he has an idea. Uh, my mentor said that he believed that as he was a young, uh, young boy growing up and reading the scriptures, he would realize, you know, gradually that that was him. Isaiah, you know, the suffering servant, all those passages, that at some point he realized that was him. The, the truth is we just don't know. You know, and I would, lo- I would love to know at what point he understood that, but clearly by the time his ministry starts, he knows that, that that's going to be, you know, his, his, uh, the way he's going to not end because it doesn't end that way, does it? Uh, we just sang about that. Death couldn't hold him. Uh, you suggest Matthew was written around 70, so Luke and John came after. Well, I think Matthew and Luke were written around the same time. Um, maybe a little before, maybe after. That's, but John is clearly written way, way, way later. So Mark is the first, written right after the fire in Rome, 65, 64. And then Matthew and Luke sometime in here. Uh, and then John. Of course, you know, they're not signed. We're not even sure John wrote John. We just have a very reliable tradition that John wrote it. But at the end of it, I mean, Paul's letters are signed, right? We know Paul wrote those letters. But at the end, John doesn't say, I, John, wrote this letter. But, you know, we have, it's reliable. Don't, I'm not casting any doubts. But, uh, so, uh, but, but they definitely didn't write, and I wrote this in 70 AD, just like Mike Card said. I would, I, would, I, would, I would love it if they'd written that, but, but they didn't. Uh, if they were written this late... Why do none 
mention the destruction of Jerusalem? Well, they do. They mention Jesus predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. I, I get your question. Um, and, of course, there are liberal scholars that say it's prophecy after the fact, right? So they, they, Jerusalem is, gonna be, is destroyed, and they sort of put the prophecy in Jesus' mouth. I don't buy into that. But you know, there are certain scholars that are looking to discount the Bible any way they can. Uh, but I, I think that's, uh, that's heresy. So yeah, but, but Matthew uh, 24 talks about it, and Luke 19 and Luke 21, both in great detail, Jesus talks about it. Is there any relationship between the oral law and all their beliefs being not scriptural in the Old Testament? And why there are so many religions and even so many denominations that have certain beliefs and laws that similarly may not necessarily be scriptural. Yeah, I think what you're pointing at is what the Pharisees did with the oral law, we all do, right? We have these doctrines that may or may not be biblical, and, and they divide us. When was the last time you ever heard a church dividing over the divinity of Jesus? That's not what we divide over. We divide over should you dunk or should you sprinkle, and we get all hot under the collar and we start new churches. It's just ridiculous. But it's just the, it's the same thing the Pharisees did. And Jesus would say those are laws made by men. Those are rules made by men. And he really gets angry uh, at people who, you know, who add, add to the law. Uh, please talk about the wilderness and what it represents. Uh, that's a theme of uh, Dr. Lane's uh, and his, his quote is, sonship and daughterhood is established in the wilderness. That's where God definitively, definitively does his thing. Jesus' sonship is established in the wilderness. What happens? He's, he's baptized, and what does God say? This is my son, right? And so, and liter- if, you, if you're there, I showed you the place where, the, where the, they're baptizing in the Jordan. Literally, if you turn around, it, it's the Judean wilderness, so he's baptized, he walks into the wilderness, and what does Satan do? If you're God's son, do this. If you're God, so um, Satan immediately challenges Jesus' sonship. So God declares him to be son, and then Satan challenges his sonship. But the sonship of Jesus is established in the wilderness, and our sonship and our daughterhood is also established in the wilderness. Bad news. I got bad news for you. That's what God uses. He uses the wilderness. Uh, because we learned there, I mean, what did Israel learn in the wilderness? The sonship of Israel was established in the wilderness. Out of Egypt, I've called my son, right? And so when they're hungry, manna. When they're thirsty, they strike the rock and God provides water for them. You learn uh, how much you need God in the wilderness, and that's what makes you his son or his daughter. So it's a wonderful theme. In the wilderness, in the wilderness, He calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness. But He gives grace sufficient to survive any test. And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness. In the wilderness we wander, in the wilderness we weep, in the wasteland of our wanting, where the darkness seems so deep. We search for the beginning, for an exodus to home, and find that those who follow him must often walk alone. In the wilderness, 
In the wilderness He called his sons and daughters To the wilderness But he gives grace sufficient To survive any test And that's the painful purpose Of the wilderness In the wilderness we're wandering For a way to understand But in the wilderness there's not a way For the ways become a man And the man's become our exodus The way to holy ground And waiting in the wilderness Is the best way to be found In the wilderness In the wilderness He calls his sons and daughters he gives grace sufficient to survive any test And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness And that's the painful promise of the wilderness After Lazarus was raised from the dead, is there any record of his life journey? I, look, I, I worked on this for a while. In, in John 12, he's at, the, at a meal at Mary and Martha's house. And I think it's later that same day at the triumphal entry, they're talking about him. So I think maybe, I kind of hope he was there. Because the, in my image of the tri, triumphal entry is on the way up through Jericho, Jesus healed Bartimaeus, right? Healed a blind guy. So I think as Jesus is walking in, there's a dead guy on one side and a blind guy on the other side. I think Bartimaeus and Lazarus were, they must have been with him. Uh, at least I really want it to be that way. So there's your image. Uh, what Bible translation available today best reflects the original Greek and Hebrew text? Well, there are all kinds of literal translations you can get. I looked this up on the internet too. There's Greens and Youngs. Um, there's a whole whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of them, but a truly literal translation would, would, would be virtually unreadable. That's, that's the thing. There, there are metaphors and there's syntax, there's word order that would be, it would just be so hard. And so we have to trust, I have a whole new appreciation for what translators go through. I worked on this. There were 17 people on the, on the team that translated this, and I wasn't at this particular meeting, but one of the, at one of the meetings, uh, and they were talking about their responsibility and what this was to the church, and a number of them started weeping. So, you know, we, we're hard on translators, right? We're hard on, on uh, but I, I, know, I know some of these faithful, really faithful uh, uh, men and women who are, who, are, who are trying so hard to, to uh, you know, as, as a ministry to translate the Bible, but it's just difficult. Translation is really hard. It's really hard. So... Um, but there are people that have done, you know, look online. There are all kinds of literal translations. I just, I'll, I'll take a good, I'll take a good. And there's people that say, well, this is literal. It's not literal. It's not literal. It's not word for word. Or later in the week, is there any report of what happened to the raised dead after the crucifixion? I've always wondered, me too, but we just don't know. So Jesus comes back in the city and all these people come out of their graves and why, you know, Jesus and I talked about this the other day. Why was there not a big uproar about that? But as far as I know, uh, there's no other, 
reference, references to those. I would kind of like to know what was Nicodemus asking Jesus? He actually started with a statement. So it's not clear to me what he wanted. And uh, that's a really good question. And I, I think uh, Nicodemus is basically a Hillelite version of the other uh, followers of Shammai who were investigating Jesus, but they had a chip on their shoulder and they were troublemakers. Uh, Nicodemus really wants to know what Jesus is about. And he obviously comes to faith, and, and so does Nicodemus. And there are references in uh, Acts to, in the early church to the believers who are Pharisees. So if you think of it, the leadership in the early church were Pharisaic. Paul's a Pharisee, right? So these, uh, they're not all bad guys. And at some point, and they know their Bible better than anybody, right? They're the, the biblical experts. And obviously, and a good number of those, uh, those dudes uh, became followers of Jesus. Uh, so what ever happened to the demons after the pigs went over the edge? Try not to include politics in your response. <laughs> oh, I wish you hadn't brought that up. Um, you know, the text just doesn't say. You know, it, uh, yeah, the text just simply doesn't say. So I, I'm not sure I, to this day, I, I, I understand that whole exchange other than you know, the, 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 pig, the demons go on the pigs and the pigs still die. I don't know. So what, what sh would have happened to the man happened to the pigs? I, I, I'm sorry I don't have some, you know, great wise thing on that. I just don't. There's so much talked about, in fact, in fishing about whether Jesus was married. Okay, can I just say this? He was not married. He was not married. They, people love to make stuff up, and that's one of the things they make up about him. Um, I don't believe Jesus was married. But why is it that in the lives of those important disciples uh, in our spiritual history, few are married? Well, I mean, I think Paul talks about Jesus' brothers being married, right, in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about the disciples who are married. So I think more of them, more of them than just Peter were probably married. But then again, the text just doesn't say. There, there's, so much, there's so many questions that we have uh, uh, about that, but you know, Paul does end up saying, you know, it's just better given the the gospel, the the the, the way to the gospel. It's better just not to get married. It was so important, but we also know that marriage is a gift, so we shouldn't be anti-marriage, right? No matter how you know how uh, you're currently viewing your spouse. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a gift, right? Marriage is a gift, and. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the big sacrifices Jesus made. He, I think he was a loving person. Imagine what a father and a husband he, well, he, in, in one sense, he's the husband to the church. So, uh, so there's a non-answer for you. I should have just said, I don't know. But uh, what differences do all these details have on your life, work, and as a creative, uh, you know, writing music and, and, uh, and writing books? These are the things that I just really get excited about, and I've talked to a few of you, and you, you're getting excited about them too. Just you're getting to know Jesus better, um, and maybe that's the that's the whole point: is knowing Him better, not collecting a bunch of details and becoming some sort of a expert on on uh, on the life of Jesus. I don't think that's 
the call. Our call is to love him better and be, be better disciples. And, and this, this makes me want to serve him better. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. Michael, and thank you for the uh, segment from The Cove as listeners interacted with you there. Coming up, we're going to have the classic conversation, Don Cole, about the return of Christ. As we anticipate that in a few minutes, I'm just thinking about the fact that Don Cole is in heaven and he's with Christ. Isn't that amazing to think about? Yeah. Yeah. When I when I first saw that that was the topic, I, I just, I did, I sort of smiled and thought, well, Don is, uh, he, 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 Jesus didn't return to John. Don returned to Jesus. Right, he's, yeah. he's with him now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, that's coming up in a few moments, but we have some time yeah. here. I want to read uh, some of the uh, correspondence from listeners. This is an email that came from Peter. This production makes me so happy. I'm so helped by the consistent Christ-centered focus and by your attention to relevant detail. Thank you, Mike, for wanting to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's signed Peter. Yeah. I so appreciate people taking the time sure. to encourage encourage all of us. Yeah. Um, and here's he, one from he, Paula. He emailed he emailed us in the studio at michaelcard.com, which anyone can do. Mm-hmm. Wait, here's one from Paula. Uh, she says, I'm a little late listening to this as it's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I like the comment that these hymn writers of 100 plus years ago 
we were biblically literate and mostly pastors. The scriptures are what give me hope, and the hymns are full of those truths. I enjoyed this podcast very much. God bless from New Hampshire. Nice. Yeah, we need to keep tapping into the richness of those hymns. Yeah, thank thank you, Paul. So we've heard from Peter and Paula. Are we going to hear from John next, do you think? (laughs) No, it's Bob, actually. Next next is Peter, Paul, and Mary. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Actually, it's Bob who writes to us and says, I thank our glorious God for everyone on the In the Studio team. Through the sorrows and the joys of the past year, your podcasts have been instrumental in turning my eyes to gaze upon the radiance of his face and my ears to listen to the music of his voice. All your hard work and steadfast faithfulness over all these years has not been for nothing. All the seeds you have sown are reaping a bountiful harvest. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 107, CSB, by the way. So, mm. Well, thank you for those notes to us. Yes. Bob sounds like a songwriter. He, he writes notes like uh, poetry. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for your emails and notes to us, whether they come on social media or email. We appreciate them all. And stay tuned for that conversation with Don Cole in a moment. If you need more information about this program, including our notes on what we've talked about here today, you'll find it at michaelcard.com. Michael, this month, we're featuring the day-by-day chronological Bible. I'm so glad that we get to feature this important Bible edition for my good friend, Dr. George Guthrie. George has been with us many times, and we've appreciated his ability to make the Bible understandable. That's why we want to point you to the day-by-day chronological Bible. This study tool combines a daily reading plan with a unique way of tracing the flow of God's action through history. Visit csbible.com and search for Day-by-Day Chronological Bible to learn more about this helpful way to get into God's Word as we prepare to start off the new year. Be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 as one word in the promotion code for your 40% discount with LifeWay. The Christian Standard Bible, scholarly, accurate, readable, current, and a wonderful gift for this time of year. Search for the day-by-day chronological Bible now at csbible.com. really enjoy being in this place, but even more than that, we enjoy opening God's Word together. And Michael, as we focus on the Word this week, we want to think about the hope of Christ's return. I know you've got your charts and everything all figured out. Right. You, you know exactly when Christ we've, is coming, right? We've, we've spent a little time calculating today with uh, Pastor Cole, and we're, we've got, I think we've got the year down. I don't know if we've got the day yet. But uh, no, actually, we're going to be looking at things that uh, Peter says even angels long to look into hmm. uh, and, and focusing on uh, hopefully the very soon return of our Lord. Pastor, have we lost the hope? Have we forgotten that Christ is coming? I think that as a whole, many in the church have lost the hope of his coming. We may hold to it theologically, but I uh, see the difference between my youth, a very sharp contrast between the kind of preaching that was very popular and the kind that we hear now. Nowadays, there's a tremendous amount of psychologizing Mm turning scriptures into talks about relationships between people, and this is important. And I have to say that I think it was a mistake that in the past nobody ever thought of that. 
But 50 years ago, even more than that, and even less than that, at every Bible conference, the theme of the return of Christ was prominent. Mm -hmm. Even though they may have convened a group of people to talk about uh, some other subject, say salvation, the atonement, no preacher dared close his message without telling God's people, Maranatha or Maranatha, mm -hmm. as it should be pronounced, and probably never will be, <laughs> people. but we know where that comes in one of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, and it really means the Lord is coming. Well, as a matter of fact, in a few moments, we're going to ask Michael to sing Maranatha, as you pronounce it, Michael, mm -hmm. correctly. And that'll come up on today's Join the Journey. And I should say, too, Michael, that Pastor Cole is from the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. So just uh, for those who are listening who may not be familiar with his radio presence. As well as uh, a long-term missionary from Angola. That's right. Which we honor him for. Where can we go in the scriptures to read about Christ's coming, Pastor? Just about any place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but let's uh, begin with First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Michael, okay. how about you reading that paragraph beginning in verse 3? We all know that the unit of thought in the New Testament is the paragraph, and most mistakes in theology are made by lifting a text out of its context. Mm. So how about reading that paragraph beginning with verse 3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is beautiful. That's joy in the journey, isn't it? It is indeed, and we have to note, of course, that he begins with this note of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth. Now, I don't think he's talking primarily about the new birth. He's talking about this new birth into a living hope mm. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the second thing, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I think that I see in this passage Peter recalling his despair following the death of Christ. And you remember those three days and three nights, how that the apostles were in terrible disarray. Mm. They'd never twigged on to the fact that he meant what he said <laughs> when he told them he was going to rise from the dead. They'd never caught on so that he could tell them they were slow of heart to believe. But then when Christ was raised from the dead, the apostle Paul tells us he appeared unto Peter. And we find that also in the gospel accounts. And I think that was the moment 
when he was born again, so to speak, into a living hope. Hmm. Not born again in the sense that now he's regenerated, but now for the first time he really has a living hope that can never be taken away from him. His understanding has been opened up as hmm. to what, what the future holds. That's right, and he finds that there is a future. Because apart from the coming of Christ, there is no future. There's simply darkness. We were talking about a mm. book that you have, a very fine little book, in which a man converses with an old professor. And the old professor has nothing to look forward to except death. And he's going to make his dying a kind of triumphant experience. Though there's really nothing triumphant about death. Mm -hmm. Death is described in the Bible as an enemy. But for Peter and the other apostles, with the coming of Christ in the resurrection, his coming back to life, all of a sudden the promise of Christ, I will come for you, found in John's Gospel chapter 14, all of a sudden that has a meaning that it didn't have before. I don't think they remembered that until after his resurrection. And he had told them that the Holy Spirit would remind them of the things he'd taught them and lead mm -hmm. them into new truth. And then they recall his words that in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, this is very direct language. And, Absolutely. And, and yet. But they didn't catch on. No. They didn't catch on to his language about the fact of his death and resurrection. They were completely stunned by it. You know, it's always amazing to me that Peter can look into the tomb, see the empty tomb, and walk away, the Bible says, wondering to himself what might have happened. There was yeah. no expectation that he would be raised from the dead. He probably was wondering, did they steal the body? What did they do with the body? What happened? Was he not really properly buried here? I wasn't here to watch the burial. Mm. What happened? Mm. But now, as we read, the Lord appeared to Peter. And you can only imagine the things he said to him. Because mm. later on, in that room when they were all together, he said, Peter, do you love me? Several times over. Mm -hmm. But first of all, there's that private restoration and I think that Peter's alluding to that here. Now, some may think, no, he's just talking about the new birth, regeneration that takes place when you believe in Jesus. But it said he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Meaning, now, at last, I understand he's going to come back for us. We have a future, mm. not here on earth, but there is a heaven that's waiting for us. Pastor Cole, I think this would be a great point to pause and to let this soak in a bit as we listen to Michael right here in this wonderful studio sing this song for us, uh, which you pronounce Maranatha. We, most of us call it Maranatha, but mm -hmm. correctly it's called Maranatha. Yeah, um, William Lane, our, our, uh, the, the, the very fine teacher that we've had on this program a number of times, taught us to pronounce it that way. All right, Michael is going to sing for us now, then joined by Ken Lewis uh, providing the percussion here, Maranatha. Maranatha is the cry of the heart That's hopeful yet weary of way 
office one day after day And the promise that soon he'd return It's certain that waiting's the most bitter lesson A believing heart has to Michael Card, singing of the hope we have of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Maranatha. Don, you enjoyed hearing Michael sing that song. I love that song, and I like the way you sing it. Your songs all are based on Scripture with more than one or two lines. Thank do you, you really believe the things you wrote, Michael? I, I do, and um, uh, and I'm thankful for having had uh, teachers like uh, like you to, to put those ideas in my head so that they could become songs. Because they all came from Bible lessons. I can believe that. And I also know that you believe that. One of the things that I'd like to draw attention to in this paragraph, and that is he's given us new birth into a living hope. We talked about that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me just say, Pastor Cole, again for listeners who have just joined us, we're in First Peter chapter 1, beginning around verse 3 here. Okay. The second thing that he has given us here is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, 
This inheritance, meaning the future and all that that entails, depends upon the truth of the coming of Christ. Because there's more to it than simply dying and being taken to heaven. That happens to us right now. When we die, everybody who has died before today, who is a believer, has gone straight to heaven. But this inheritance depends to a very great extent upon Christ's return. And he talks about it in terms of salvation. He says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, he uses this term salvation in one way in this verse, and at the end of verse 9, in another way, where he speaks about our being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are receiving that in the sense that today, we Christian people, even though we are passing through various trials, are nonetheless capable of having joy in that journey. Mm -hmm. And that is part of a salvation which we are enjoying right now. And it's complementary to the salvation that is going to be revealed when all of God's plans for us are going to be fulfilled. So he looks forward to that. And that will be ours at the coming of Christ when he comes to do everything that he has promised to do. That's why one reason why every day when we pray, we say, thy kingdom come. Mm. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's part of the truth of the Lord's coming. In other words, come and finish all that you've started. Help us enter into that great inheritance which is ours which is summed up under the word salvation that is going to be revealed. It's not yet visible, not yet clear to most of the people on the earth, but it will be when Christ returns. Oh, Pastor Cole, what keeps us from being filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy? Because that, I know that, not that, not that being a Christian is just for an experience, but uh, I really hunger for that joy in the journey more. I mean, that... The, the reason uh, that I wrote that song in the first place not was because I had it, but because I wanted it so much. And uh, Peter seems to almost assume that these sorts of realizations uh, are going to lead you know, to these, in this you greatly rejoice. and and um, Well, we do, but we that. weep also. And there's nothing inconsistent with times of tears and also the great joy that we have as Christian people. For example, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, talks about an occasion when he went to a town called Troas, and there the Lord had given him an open door, which is a metaphor for a great opportunity to preach the gospel. But he said, I had no peace of mind. Hmm. Why not? Because I was lonely. Hmm. He said, Titus had not come. And as a result of that, even though there was an open door, he pushed on to Macedonia. In chapter 7, he's still recalling these events. He speaks of God who comforts the downcast. Hmm. And that's himself. what he was. Uh -huh. He said, he comforted me by the coming of Titus. 
Now, you could say of Paul that he was one who had joy in the journey, but he experienced the whole range of emotions. Mm -hmm. And here in this very same seventh chapter in 2 Corinthians where he said, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Hmm. So he goes from being downcast to being filled with joy because of their sorrow over the things he was experiencing, because he was seeing evidence in them of eternal life. So joy in the journey does not mean we're always snapping our fingers and tapping our heels and saying, aren't you happy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you cannot be a mature Christian person unless you know how to weep. Mm. There's a sense that you get when you read passages like this in First Peter and others, First uh, Thessalonians, where there is a, a call to watchfulness. I think that's another thing that we've lost. You know, when we wake up each day, do we think maybe maybe it's today? Maybe the Lord will come today? Well, and I, I think if you're going to sum up Jesus' basic teaching on the second coming, that's that's basically it. Be ready and watch. Right. Because no one knows. He went so far as to say, and I, don't, I certainly don't understand this, that even he didn't know uh, when it would be, but uh, that we should be watchful and we should be ready. That's right. One of my favorite texts which was given to me, by the way, by an old missionary in Angola. He was associated with the United Church of Canada, which in those days was a very fine group of people. And he said that the motto in his house was, Occupy till I come. Mm -hmm. And the reason they picked that was that his mother-in-law was always waiting for Christ to return, whereas he was preoccupied with troubles and problems of the world. So he said, for me, the word is occupy. For mother, meaning his mother-in-law, the word is till I come. <laughs> and I thought it was a great combination of uh, ideas, biblical ideas. In other words, we expect him to come. And in the old days, go back to my youth, when Christians wrote letters to each other, this may have been an affectation, but I don't think so. At the end of a letter, they'd write that word beginning with M. How do you pronounce it? Maranatha. Maranatha. Mm-hmm. We always said Maranatha, but mm-hmm. Maranatha, and what does it mean? Anathema, Maranatha. You remember the Apostle Paul puts the two together? Mm. And he's talking about those who do not love the Lord's return. Let them be accursed. Mm. And then for the rest of us, the Lord is coming. Mm. That's really what it means. And they'd write that word at the end of their letters. Hmm. Uh, well, I know in the first century, uh, the believers actually thought that they would hasten his coming with that word, that it, it was mm-hmm. something that would actually uh, hurry Jesus along and coming back. Maybe we could use a little of that today. Yeah. Pastor, I think we have time to turn to First Thessalonians, which is another one of these passages that talks about this attitude of watchfulness. Uh, I like what leads up to verse 13 in, in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, where it talks about just how you lead your daily life, you know? And we know that th- this Thessalonian letter was written uh, to a group of people who had received some um, false teaching on the second coming, and so Paul had to write and, and clear up some of, their, uh, some of this heresy that was in the church. Well, in this chapter 4, the false teaching that they'd received 
was that uh, those who had died, and that would include up to now nearly 2,000 years, mm. those who died would lose out. They would not be part of the eternal kingdom when Christ was going to return. Mm. And so Paul is going to teach them, yes, they will be with him when he returns because he's going to catch them away first. Mm. So he says that, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. The metaphor falling asleep here refers only to the body. The body sleeps. The soul does not sleep. Hmm. Because when a person dies, immediately his soul goes to be with Christ. But the body looks as if it's asleep. The body is the object of resurrection, not the soul. The soul is never resurrected. At the resurrection, it is reunited with a new body, which has some biological link with the old body. All God needs is a, a molecule, or what is smaller than a molecule? <laughs> That's all he needs to establish identity, and he gives us new bodies. So don't be ignorant like those who are about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have, again, here's that word, who have no hope. Yes, whereas we have a living hope. We believe. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, we have to believe the next thing. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. The second coming is part of the gospel. And if you forget about it, then you have a truncated gospel. Hmm. We believe. What do we believe? Jesus died and rose again. And so... We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In the few seconds we have left, uh, Michael and Pastor Cole, how then shall we live? Uh, we should live with a sense of watchfulness, right? Well, you already pointed to that, verse 13, 11 and 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Hmm. That's part of it. So go about your life, live life with joy, with expectation, and uh, look for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Though it's not yet the hour, the minutes are ticking away. great song and conversation to have here at the start of a new year, Michael. Mm -hmm. And this is a natural time, I think, to ask for the Lord's guidance in the year ahead. Uh, can I ask you to pray to that end? Sure. And, and, and that song actually, I think, is a wonderful preparation. Oh, Lord, come. Because that, you know, at the, at the, at the beginning of the year, you, <laughs> you're mindful of the fact that uh, his coming is closer now than it, than it was, you know, before. So yeah, let's pray. True. True. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lord, we come to you as uh, as men and women who need to be made wise by your word. And it's been a long year. 
and you, uh, we have been unfaithful, and we have, uh, we have made mistakes, and you have been faithful, and you haven't made any mistakes. You've held our, uh, held our hands. You've, you've protected us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine uh, this year. You are just so good to us. And we want to thank you. There's nothing but thanksgiving in our hearts as we come to the end of the year and we look towards another year with you. We lay that year before your feet, the, the upcoming year, and uh, pray that we'd be more faithful, that we'd be better servants, that we would serve you with thanksgiving and with love and with faithfulness. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. A heartfelt prayer to end this time together in the studio with Michael Card. If this time together has been valuable for you, please take a moment and pass along your comments to us when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com or post your reaction and interact with other listeners on the Michael Card Music Facebook page. Learn about Michael's books and music so you can expand on what you've heard in this session at michaelcard.com. We're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. Find an edition of this new translation that fits your needs. This month, we're highlighting the day-by-day chronological Bible put together by our good friend, Dr. George Guthrie. When you visit csbible.com, search for day-by-day chronological Bible. And when you order your copy, use the promotion code CARD40, typed with no spaces, to receive your 40% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay. Search for Day-by-Day Chronological Bible, available now at csbible.com. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and of course our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us for this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.